HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese, where cheesemakers have been making award-winning cheese for generations. Go to wisconsincheese.com to order directly from Wisconsin Dairies to your home. This week on Meet and 3, we're revisiting Kitchen Joys to bring a bit of levity to life during lockdown. The major lesson is that I'm learning <laughs> to just enjoy anything that I can taste and to taste it slowly and to just enjoy it. Reach for those jars of jam, you know, maybe bourbon, that apricot jam, and maybe some lemon juice. Shake it vigorously and strain it uh, into a cocktail glass. It'll be delightful. It's like, no, what are you cooking? What do you like to cook? And naturally, that's going to be a little bit like a niche because you are not going to be an expert at everything. Your shtick could be that you are not an expert at everything, but you want to learn. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. So today we are joined by Meryl Feinstein, who you probably know better as Pasta Social Club. A, she is my pasta guru. She is one of the most talented content creators surrounding the world of carbs right now. Thank you so much for joining us, Meryl. Thanks, Jake. That was a very kind introduction. So, I mean, I want to just like jump right into this because we've been like... We'd followed each other for a long time, but it wasn't until I went to one of your dinners that we met and I kind of really just like uh, fell in love, mainly because of the fact that like it's one thing to follow someone and be in awe of like visuals and then it's another thing to then be able to experience quality. Uh, I want to kind of dive into your history with pasta. Let's start with like what... What did you do before cooking? What got you into cooking? And then what got you into pasta? Great questions. Uh, well, most of my life, I was actually in the art world. Um, I grew up 
painting and uh, enrolled in art classes for my entire childhood. So, you know, all the while food was an obsession. I, you know, was eating kind of foods that normal children wouldn't eat at a very young age. But uh, as my kind of career path uh, from a young age, it was all about art. Um, so I actually uh, have a degree, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in art history. Um, I was doing corporate uh, public relations for uh, a couple of agencies in Manhattan that work with art museums and cultural institutions. So I was definitely in the corporate world working in Midtown Manhattan for the majority of the time that uh, I've been working. Um, and I think what happened was I kind of knew I wanted to transition out of that world and into the food industry uh, years and years ago. A couple of my other friends had done that. And it kind of, for me, as someone who grew up in a community where f the food world didn't seem like a viable career option, uh, it kind of showed me that it was. And also, I guess, being sort of away from the nest of my family for long enough, I was like, I can kind of do what I want to do now. Um, so I ended up uh, enrolling in culinary school, um, but before I kind of started classes, my husband and I actually went to Italy uh, for our honeymoon for a couple of weeks. And while we were there, uh, we stopped in Modena, which is sort of in the Emilia-Romagna region and the kind of gold standard of pasta making. And we ended up doing a little bit of a day trip, a touristy day trip to this Achataya, which is like a family that's been making balsamic vinegar for hundreds of years. Um, and we did some pasta making with them. And it was just, it opened my eyes to how the art world and the food world could converge in such a like visceral activity. And it was also such a meditative activity for me. So I was like, I'm going to culinary school, I know I'm making this change, um, but I really wanted to have a focus when I was doing that. I didn't want to be a generalist. I, I have dietary restrictions and I also was like, I just need to have a craft that I can master and at that moment, pasta became that craft. So I went into uh, the industry or kind of jumped into school knowing that I wanted it to be about pasta. Love it. So then what happened when you graduated? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because obviously you've been to school. Pasta is like one day. Of it's it's such a little part. I honestly feel that I, even going through culinary school, working in restaurants, I think if you're not on the pasta station, your understanding of fresh pasta is so limited. Um, and I mean, it wasn't until really food media that I, I started playing around with making pasta, different shapes, the techniques around stuffed pastas. Um, but even still, I, I think that it's something that you really have to dive in. And in the same way that everyone right now is like making sourdough, uh, I feel like the same thing would be with pasta. You need to like make it, make it poorly so you understand what you did wrong, improve on it kind of start to understand 100%. what is the feel for like the dough, the shapes, the techniques. Um, and most of that honestly only started happening when we made pasta together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pasta is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, it's a constant practice, um, I guess. But yeah, I mean, 
like you said, we do pasta, you know, for one, maybe two days. However, like I said, I was still pretty hyper-focused on pasta. I wasn't making a lot outside of school, but I did, by the time I was sort of ending my classes uh, in school, I knew I wanted to work um, or do my externship at a place that focused on pasta. Um, When you think of pasta in New York, you think of Missy Robbins. So she was the pinnacle of pasta for me. Um, So I ended up doing my externship uh, at Lilia in Williamsburg. And I wasn't actually doing the pasta production there. I was doing the pastry line. Um, But I did get to see a little bit of what the pasta production entailed and kind of also gave me the time to start experimenting with pasta on my own. So since I wasn't really doing a whole lot of that at the restaurant, but I was getting more and more exposed to it, I took my days off, which were Mondays and Tuesdays, which nobody else had days off, and I would start to experiment with pasta making, um, sort of teaching myself new shapes. I would look a lot at you know the Pasta Granny's YouTube channel or uh, the Encyclopedia of Pasta Cook. It's not really a cookbook. It's a reference book um, and sort of just piece my way through traditional shapes and like you said it's just you have to do it over and over and over again do it poorly and realize okay maybe if I do it this way you know maybe this flower kind of doesn't really work or you know kind of trial and error your way through it um, and then once I was sort of nearing the end of my externship at Lilia I it I was at Lilia at the same time that they were opening Missy, their sister restaurant. Um, and so that hadn't been open when I started, but obviously as a pasta lover and somebody who really wanted to get into pasta production, Missy had 10 fresh pastas on the menu. They have that beautiful glass pasta room. Um, it was sort of like the dream for me at that time. Um, and I got really lucky because I finished my externship. I actually went in to dine at Missy and Missy Rob was there and we had a conversation and it became clear you know I I would love to work in the pasta room should you know uh, an opportunity become available and she she called me a couple days later and was like so you want you want to work in the pasta room we've got an opening Um, so I ended up working in pasta production there for about six months and it was an incredible experience because well, working in restaurants itself is, I think, essential for somebody in the food industry to kind of understand how things work and not necessarily how to cook, but how to act, how to work with others, how to, yeah, how to prioritize your time, how to work well under pressure. Um, so I was, you know, as I was older than a lot of the other people I had been to school with and and who were working in the restaurants that I was in. But um, I was sort of like, I'm in New York City, now's the time, you know, if I'm going to work in a restaurant. Um, And the opportunity to work at two of the best restaurants in New York was like definitely something I wasn't going to say no to. Um, But pasta production is a totally different ballgame than like the little, you know, projects I was doing on my own time, which is also when I had started the Instagram. Um, So, you know, we were making 1600 pieces of tortelli every day. Um, And that was one of 10 pastas we were making every single day. Uh, So that was a that was a unique and, and incredibly helpful experience. Because as someone who started hosting supper club dinners, and, you know, doing workshops and things like that, it's, you know, if you can make 10 fresh pastas, thousands of pieces of pasta every day and do it on time and work with other people to get that done, uh, then a supper club sort of seems like a piece of cake. (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. What was that kind of transition like from the restaurant world to the world of supper clubs and classes? Because I feel like that is, that is for a lot of people, like what, um, what the end goal is for, for many kind of people who are looking to leave the restaurant scene. But what does it actually look like when you're starting out and like what goes into uh, making a successful uh, supper club? Yeah, I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. I think I was in the right place at the right time. Um, I was doing a couple of private classes on the side for pasta. Um, and one of the couples I had done a class for had kind of uh, told me about this new venture in New York uh, called Resident, which was a new up-and-coming company, which was a platform dedicated to um, up-and-coming chefs that would essentially provide the resources, the space, the, the you know service staff, the cutlery, everything that a cook cannot afford. Like I knew I wanted to host some sort of supper club experience years before I went to culinary school. Um, obviously the pasta piece came much later, but I was never going to be able to do it because I didn't have enough money in New York City to rent a space. It's like on a good day, $1,000 for the evening. And so it just like wasn't a feasible option. But when I was put in touch with this company called Resident, they were essentially championing these like young up and coming chefs that they felt like had the the vision and the presence to bring people in and create community. Um, So it wasn't necessarily can you cook really well? Because I am definitely not the most technically proficient cook, certainly not at the restaurants that I was at, but it was sort of like, do you have, you know, the, the desire to engage with guests and really like it's more like almost a performance in that way because it's such a small setting um but they actually we did a few tastings with them uh around the time I had decided to leave the restaurant and that kind of evolved right like very quickly um they kind of felt like the pasta social club brand had sort of a built-in audience and it could definitely um bring you know people in the door um So like I said, I think I got, I was very fortunate because I was introduced to the right people at the right time who felt like the food, like you said, you know, the food has to back it up. You can have a great idea and great pictures of your food, but if it doesn't taste good, (laughs) then yeah, yeah, you're kind of at a loss, but they, you know, they felt like they believed in what we were doing. And, um, so we kind of got started with them very shortly after my time at Missy, uh, ended. And now, obviously, this is like the biggest change is that you're no longer in New York. You're in Austin. Um, and with that comes the the kind of change of scenery, the change of uh, food city. And obviously, Austin's a culinary capital. But what was that like and what has been the kind of transition to living in Texas? I love Austin, Texas. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, there are definitely things I miss about New York. Um, but I think Austin is a... It It couldn't have been a better city to kind of move to. I moved here because my husband um, got a job that was an incredible opportunity for him. So Austin is like such a everyone here is such a champion of small businesses in a way that I don't I haven't seen from from other cities in the same way um 
So I think for me, it was definitely a challenge because neither of us knew anyone going into Austin. I had never, we had never been here before other than to find an apartment. Um, we didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone in the industry. I obviously had never, you know, worked in restaurants in, in the industry here. So my connections were very limited. I think th- that being said, it gave me the motivation to meet as many people as I could as quickly as I could um, to try and establish a business here. And then like everyone here is so nice, like they want to help, they want to, you know, spread the word. Um, So I think, you know, the first couple of months, I was still going back and forth to New York uh, to host the supper clubs up until November of last year. So I sort of had that as like a base. Um, But when I decided I really wanted to put all of my energy into Pasta Social Club and Austin. Um, those first couple of months were very challenging, um, but on the flip side, I think I couldn't have uh, been introduced to a, a better and more helpful and kind community that wants, you know, to see uh, entrepreneurs succeed. So it's been it's been really great. Um, obviously, the current climate has definitely changed how my business, like the direction of my business, and where I'm putting my time, and it's not as localized as it as I had anticipated it would be um but really excited to be in austin during this time let's let's dive into that a little bit just because this is obviously such an interesting time when you think of of people in our industry and the food industry as a whole um when you're now doing these classes that you were doing in austin um and all of a sudden now you're doing them virtually which opens it up to the country, if not the world, what has that been like and what has been your approach to kind of doing these at-home pasta demos with people like from your home kitchen? So I am not the most tech savvy of human beings. Um, So honestly, I was a little nervous and there was a bit of a learning curve for me. Um, but as, as someone who is familiar with pasta and we've made a lot of pasta together, pasta is such a technical thing. So for me, like I can't really give you a recipe for pasta dough and be like, and good luck. It's going to turn out perfect. It's such a, you have to you know, know what you're looking for. It has to feel a certain way. You have to know how to adjust it. So I think there are definitely challenges not being with somebody in person to kind of gauge where they're at. However, um, it's been an incredible experience to be able to bring people in from all over the world. I think the ethos of Pasta Social Club is to build community. And I could only do so much of that being one person in one place at a given time. And I think now um, the ability to to connect with others, even if it's not necessarily the in-person connection that I think is also incredibly important to what I'm trying to do, um, has been amazing. And it's, it's been incredible to see people, you know, experimenting in the kitchen and also like realizing that pasta is a practice and trying it. And I have people coming to classes many, many times over because they're like, oh, well, you know, the first time was a little bit challenging, but now I kind of know what I'm looking for. I want to like dive into this new shape or do this other thing. Um, So it's been really an incredible thing to see. Doing it from my home kitchen is definitely uh, 
relaxing in a way. <laughs> I think uh, it used to be I could only do one event a day. You know, I'd have to schlep all my stuff in a big crate everywhere. And now I can do multiple classes a day, you know, one in London in the morning and then a workshop, you know, in the evening and then a private class after that. So it's kind of been exciting in that respect. And then also I think gives it a little bit of a homier, more casual vibe um, kind of coming from my from my home. Um, so it's definitely something I plan to continue after, you know, things sort of pick up again. Um, you know, maybe they'll be on Sundays instead, but um, it's definitely been a an eye-opening and experience to see like how people, how many people really are interested in giving it a go. And they're not just, you know, on Instagram to look at pretty pictures. They like really do want to get involved and, and get their hands dirty. What has kind of been your experience now as everyone is like cooking more, they're at home, they're, they're, they have more free time and kind of needs to stay busy. Um, Obviously, it's like pasta is such a great way to do that. How has that kind of, how have you seen a change in the past few months, if you have, uh, in terms of people kind of transitioning from just followers who liked your photos to now followers who are making pasta at home? So I think when all this sort of started, my following was maybe half of what it is now. Um, which to me is insane. Um, so I think that there is a desire to really learn. And part of the reason I think my engagement has grown is because I shifted my content from here's like a beautiful picture of a finished dish and like you can find the recipe here to here's like a shape. This is a like a video or a series of videos on how you create it at home. And I think that the I've always tried to make my content educational and helpful in some way, but I've definitely put a much stronger emphasis on that now because people do have the time and have the interest in, in actually tackling these subjects. So I think, you know, that has contributed to it. And also, you know, seeing people post recipes and, and pastas that they're making at home and tagging me has been like exponentially more and the most gratifying thing. Um, so yeah, I definitely think, you know, people are really engaged and people are coming to my page, not necessarily for the finished dish, but for the process and the video content, especially um, seeing how things are done. Let's talk a little bit about kind of life as a content creator. Um, in terms of you, you're talking about how in the past few months, like your following has doubled. But let's talk about like what does that mean? What drives um, kind of those bumps in followers? The first thing that I guess would come to to my mind is talk me uh, through a little bit about like the beginning of like the regramming culture. Um, and what was it like for you in the beginning? Who was regramming you and what was the kind of results? Yeah, I mean, I would say I my Instagram has grown at a 
pretty steady rate since the inception of it. Um, I think part of that is, you know, Instagram favors good content and, you know, you do your hashtags or whatever. Um, but the regram is an incredibly powerful thing. I think um, obviously the feed feed has been a huge supporter of what I've been doing since day one um, and has regrammed me many times, which always leads to a bump in followers. Um, but I think, yeah, larger accounts that have sort of a trusted uh like they have a community of people who trust them. Um, that's where I see the most engagement. And I think that's what sort of built my platform up until this point. And then since this kind of uh, craziness started, it has been less about the regram and more like people sending the content to other people or things end up somehow on the Explorer page. I mean, from what I can read from the insights, I guess, um, and less about the regram because um, I've been regrammed a lot, which is awesome. And so as you get regrammed more and more on certain platforms, like obviously the, there's a decrease in people who come and follow you because they are already following you from previous regrams. So it's interesting to see how that was such an important thing at the beginning for me to to gain a following and to sort of have people trust what I'm doing as legitimate and like helpful um, because other, you know, food publications, you know, endorse that, I guess, by regramming it. And now um, to transition more into um, like more people sharing the content with between themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's, <laughs> that's that, that, that I just always think that, it's fascinating to chat with people because everyone has their own kind of version of how their following has grown and what what kind of bursts and what was their kind yeah. of method, if there even was one. Um, and I mean, I think at the end uh, yeah. of the day. I think my method has always been at like something educational. Like if I'm just posting a photo that's like, here's a beautiful picture of glossy pasta, like I, I like those on a regular basis. I think what I wanted to do as more, less of a content creator, because to be honest, like I'm not, I don't consider myself like a food blogger or anything. Um, even though I do develop recipes that people um, cook at home. I think for me, it's about building that community and also making past, fresh pasta making as accessible as possible because I think at the moment fresh pasta is something people are afraid to make and something that is championed by restaurant chefs and I think that's amazing but you know buying a cookbook from a restaurant chef like on pasta is not it's more for me like to learn as opposed for me to recreate those dishes so I think for me to make it as accessible and helpful as possible to people and encourage them to make pasta at home uh that's been my I guess strategy if there ever was one which is to make it approachable and educational um but in terms of like a marketing strategy I've never had that I've just been you know fortunate that um you know we've we've been introduced and I've just met amazing, you know, people in the industry through social media and that, you know, food publications have been supportive, uh, sort of from early on about what I was doing. Just based off of that, like what was the kind of beginning or creation of the name itself, Pasta Social Club? And what was your intent? You, you talked about community a lot, which I love. And I think that's so important when any, whenever anyone uses that. Um, 
in terms of success, especially when you're using a platform like Instagram. Um, but what was kind of the initial thought process of what you wanted Pasta Social Club to be? And is that kind of, did it shift at all? Or was it always kind of just um, you working out this same vision? I'd love to say that I had like a business plan or something like totally set in stone from day one, but the reality is everything or almost everything has been pretty reactionary uh, up until now. I think I'm like beginning to finally get a hold of a vision and and think long term. Um, But in terms of the creation of it, I think when I had a sense of doing a supper club or a sort of small scale experience, in-person experience for people, which was before the pasta piece came in. Um, It was really derived from my upbringing. So, you know, you and I are both Jews. (laughs) And I spent every Friday night growing up in uh, doing Shabbat dinner and in a very close-knit Jewish community. So for me, you know, we weren't super religious, I guess, in that sense, but we did have a very strong Jewish culture and identity when I grew up. And I always looked forward to Friday night dinner. Um, We would kind of like switch off families that would host and everyone would make these incredible spreads of food and there was no phones and you would just kind of chill and spend like this quality time with your family and other families. And it never dawned on me that I would rather be going out to the movies on a Friday night. Like it was just what my, you know, I had made close friends through that community. I just, that experience I felt like was lacking, um, in my life, uh, having kind of left that community. And also I felt like in other people's lives, I didn't feel like they had, you know, this warm and inviting, you know, group or community to come back to and, and just eat and relax. Um, so I wanted to kind of recreate that experience of my childhood, but outside of any religious affiliation or any affiliation whatsoever. Um, so for me, pasta seemed like a medium, A, that I liked to cook and B, that I felt like almost everyone enjoyed eating. So it seemed like I was looking for something somewhat universal, uh, to, to unite people or to want to make people want to come no matter you know what their background was um positive social club as a name i'll be honest i generated from a name generator (laughs) i love that oh my god that's amazing yeah i mean i just typed in a few keywords like i think community was probably one of them and i saw those three words and i was like oh let's do that (laughs) that's too funny oh my god I mean, it worked out. We worked out really well. I know. I was still like pretty self-conscious about the name. I don't know. The first post you ever make, you're like, is this really right? Um, but I, I think now it, it really is, it encompasses everything I do because it's not just dinners and it's not just classes, you know, it kind of anything pasta related, you know, we can make it happen. Yeah. Well, with that, we are going to take a quick break. Despite challenging circumstances, dairy farmers are working hard to make sure communities across the country have fresh, nutritious food to keep us healthy during these uncertain times. 
It's more important than ever to eat, enjoy, and support real dairy. Want to help? Go to wisconsincheese.com where you can order award-winning Wisconsin cheese directly from cheesemakers to keep our family dairy farms in business for generations to come. I think it's so fascinating whenever someone becomes an expert in a subject. And when I say expert, I mean just like really dedicating their time to learning, um, researching. And I want to know a little bit about that and pasta and you of what that journey has been like, what kind of ways you learn about all of these new shapes. If you think about it, it's just like the, the concept of pasta is so wonderful because even though it's a single subject, the subject is so broad. Exactly. Um, what has kind of been that journey and what you've, what excites you about pasta today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are we answering now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of research uh, and study that kind of goes on behind the scenes. I think when I first, so like you said, the variety within a certain genre was huge for me because if I was going to be a specialist, which I wanted to be because personally I needed a focus. I felt like I had spent my career prior just sort of all over the place and not really sure like what direction I was going in and I needed a direction. So even though I have, you know, like may not have had a sense of where this business was going or that it would become a business uh, when I started the Instagram account, I just needed some sort of lane to stay in, but one that also was broad enough uh, to, to not really get bored of or to feel like I could ever truly master it, if that makes sense. Um, so in terms of the way it got started and, and kind of the process, um, well, I have a lot of books, <laughs> um, but one of those books is the Encyclopedia of Pasta, which is uh, translated from Italian, and it is the most comprehensive, I think, book that not it's not a cookbook it doesn't have recipes or anything but it does have you know a comprehensive list of pasta shapes their origins other names for those shapes because you'll find shapes with five different names depending on the region um you know what to generally use to make it um and various other interesting notes or at least interesting to me um that you know there are definitely some gaps in that book and some things that like aren't 100 percent um, but as a starting point for me, as someone who really wanted to get serious about it, I kind of cooked my way through that book. So I would go A to Z. Um, if you scroll back to my earlier posts, you'll see like I'm starting with Agnolotti and then I'm like kind of trying to uncover shapes that I had never seen before that I didn't feel like other people had been talking about and to sort of bring those to light. Um, so yeah, I was doing a lot of reading. I was There's no pictures in that book. There are occasionally illustrations, but there are descriptions of the technique and how it's supposed to look. So I would sort of kind of wing it. Of course, I would like also Google, you know, the shape and see if I could find some home video from Italy from like 1996 and see, you know, not understand what they're saying, but get a sense of how it was made or, you know, different ways that people can can usually like attack the same shape. Um, but constantly, you know, referencing restaurant chefs and also, um, these Italian cookbooks, but Instagram is also a constant 
source of inspiration for me because um, I've made a lot of pasta friends. Um, we we are called pastae on the run, which means uh, like pa- pastae is like a female pasta maker. Um, and so we have like a little Facebook group where we just kind of talk and like go through pasta related issues. But they're always helping me. A lot of them are based in Italy or grew up in Italy. So they're a little bit more, um, they have that background and they, they know a little bit more than I do. But, um, and I think I may have gone off track from your question. No, I mean, I'm just, (laughs) I'm just imagining this Facebook group as the new, the new ad because they've been doing all those commercials about groups like find a group for things <laughs> so i love that there's this group of female pasta makers um what 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 kind what's an example of like a question that you've thrown out in this facebook group um so i think someone recently was asking about drying and packaging pasta and like what the best technique would be for that which is definitely a tricky thing because uh pasta you make from home will never be shelf stable um somebody else was asking how they take care of their wooden board where they make all their pasta if they just like oil it or how they like keep it in good condition um kind of very very niche things but it's it's a really fun group because you know there are people in norway there are people in italy and people in germany and people in the u.s and people in spain um it's so it's just an amazing kind of way to connect with people who are equally obsessed and interested uh from all over the world but you know have different things to bring to the table because a lot of these people are from different regions of italy or you know live somewhere else now um and can like really attest to certain traditions in a way that no book can ever really do yeah and then what about chefs? Like you, you've kind of talked about that a lot in terms of referencing chefs. I'd love to know like then what has been that transition in the sense of how you communicate with chefs? What's that dynamic like with people who are like cooking in restaurants versus um, you trying to teach these same techniques to people at home? Um, what is the typical like vibe that you get from chefs when you're like talking to them as someone who is uh, obviously someone just as dedicated to the craft but in a completely different setting? So that's a great question. I think I'm trying to toe a very fine line, which is I am trained and I have restaurant experience and I have like personal study. Um, so I'm like, I'm trying, like I'm a serious pasta maker on the one hand who like has spent time in restaurant kitchens. On the other hand, I am closer to being a home cook and probably always will be than to being a restaurant chef. Um, I think that that's super important for trying to bridge this gap between you know, this beautiful restaurant quality uh, pasta and then sort of like maybe the like, like not as refined home cooking. So I'm trying to, like you said, like pass off the skills that I've learned from restaurants and that I've taught, you know, myself and learned from other people to home cook so that they can create something, you know, good something that's not half-assed I guess like I want to give you my real pasta dough recipe because if you really want to make great pasta like you're gonna need to know like what the 
hydration should be and like how to troubleshoot this and not just kind of be like a throwaway. Um, I mean, I will say like, I think having been immersed in pasta making for solely pasta making for the last two plus years, um, I definitely feel like there's that I have value that I can give restaurant chefs and I have spent some time in restaurant kitchens here in Austin and have definitely like helped with their pasta programs um but at the same time I don't want to come off as chefy at all because I understand more like I can get into the mindset of somebody who's never done this before or doesn't have a food scale or doesn't know like doesn't have a pasta machine, first of all. I think that's like a big thing. I think people are discovering that you don't need special equipment to make pasta, but there was always assumption that you did because all the pasta that you see and that you eat in restaurants are generally made with a pasta machine. Um, So I think it's, yeah, I think I'm just trying to continue to toe that line to be, you know, I'm an authority in in this space, but at the same time, like, let's hang out and let's make pasta together and we don't have to be too serious about it. I mean, I think that's the best attitude um, to have about food in general. And then I, I think that the, the thing that I really want to ask you is like, what are your tips for someone starting out who wants to jump into pasta? My tips would be like, this isn't like, just know that you're going to need to practice. Practice is everything. Pa- practice and pasta is progress. That was a lot of alliteration. But I really think that, um, you know, it can get frustrating. You know, you're spending a lot of time. Pasta is a very labor-intensive uh, medium. And to then kind of get to the end and it's not exactly how you want it, I've been there. I, I know how frustrating that can be. Um, but just know, like, every time you're doing it, it will get easier. It will get better. Every time you make a mistake, you, you will learn something and hopefully not make that mistake too many more times in the future. Um, I'll also say that pasta is resilient um it's not as delicate as pastry it's not as time sensitive as bread um it's definitely like a bit it's a bit of a forgiving medium and like just know that like if you are if your eggs aren't incorporated exactly the same way uh as you see in a in a book or on in a video like it's fine it's all gonna be fine um (laughs) so just know that like pretty much everything can be fixed. Um, and at the end of the day, it's pasta. Like even if it's not the perfect piece of orchiette that you have you know, fashioned, you're gonna cook it and it's gonna taste great. So just keep like in mind that this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be like something that you can share with others and something that's gonna be delicious. So don't get too crazy about it. Don't put too much pressure on yourself because um, you know, I find that it should be a, like a relaxing process. I guess is my answer. I think that is that is the best approach to have to food in general. <laughs> yeah, don't take it too seriously. It's food. Um, this is perfect because this brings us right into our lightning round, which is my favorite part of the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Okay. Um, the first one is, um, who's killing it on the gram? Who do you love to follow? It could be food related. It could be pasta chefs. It could be someone completely non-related to cooking at all. 
I love Scusatema. Uh, she has like been a pasta. She's a pasta maven also, but her photography just makes me drool. I, I just aspire to be like her in her photography. So I would say uh, her name's Alaria, and she's she's an incredible woman. Love it. When was the last time? Obviously, uh, pre craziness um that you were just floored by a meal like the the last time you had a bowl of pasta that just like knocked your socks off a bowl of pasta that's different than a meal uh <laughs> we could do I, both that we'll, we'll make this a two-parter okay okay um before we left new york we went to Rizdora and we had that uh capoletti i think it was like grandmother walking in the forest that was an excellent plate of pasta um and then i'll say via carota's uh smoked ricotta tortelli are incredible um in terms of a meal the best meal i've ever eaten was at blue hill at stone barns hands down yes. love. <laughs> love. not surprised no it was, um, it was incredible what and you don't have to give like one specific one, but what are some highlights of like some of your favorite pasta recipes you've developed? Mm. I think uh, one of my favorites is my sugo finto, which is basically a traditional ragu but made with fake meat because I don't eat real meat. Um, and it's basically created in the same way a traditional ragu would be, but aside from the meat replacement, um, it's got a couple of other ingredients that I think like make it taste even meatier and it's definitely one of the recipes I'm most proud of. Um, I've served that at the supper club several times and everyone thinks it's made with real meat so that's an added plus. Um, And then I don't know I would say my smoky pumpkin sugo was really good because I had found myself with way too many half open jars of or cans of pumpkin puree around the holidays and had kind of created that out of necessity to use them and ended up being really delicious. Um, I also have a couple of things coming down the pipe that I'm really proud of, so stay tuned. Love it. Um, what is exciting you in the world of pasta right now? It could be an ingredient, it could be a technique, it could be a region of Italy, anything. Mm. Honestly, the fact that people are making pasta at home is exciting me the most. Um, You know, I think there, I like to think there are some silver linings to this situation. uh, And I think people getting in the kitchen is one of them. And the fact that people are, you know, as engaged enough to really tackle something that is uh, a time commitment and, uh, you know, do classes and online like live streams. I think that's been really exciting in the world of pasta. There are a lot of chefs not just, you know, me, but many others who have been teaching pasta classes online. Um, so I think that really connecting with the community and, and broadening the, the attitude towards pasta making has been the most exciting thing for me. Love. And then finally, our favorite question, we play a game of fuck, marry, kill. Oh, God. Um, and every time it's curated to the guests, so yours are naturally pasta shapes. Um <laughs> It's hard because there's so many. So I tried to yep. pick like, uh, I, I picked three classic ones. So we're going to do Parpadel, Ravioli, and Cavatelli. Mm. Whoa. I would probably marry Pappardelle. Um Cavatelli, and what was the other one? Ravioli. Yes. Um, I would probably kill Ravioli. And maybe 
fuck cavatelli <laughs> i just think go. cavatelli and those southern pasta shapes that have that flour and water dough and that chew are just to die for and i think um i'm hoping more and more people are discovering them now because they're equipment free but that's what i was it, it, it blew my mind we went when we meryl and i went live last week uh on feed feed and i mean the dough was so easy to make and then the cavatelli were I mean, I just feel like it was easier than any time I've done it before. Uh, and as someone who's like always shies away from fresh pasta because of the sole reason that like it attaches to this giant mixer I have in my closet and I just don't want to take it down. Yep, um, yep. The concept of like a non, like a dough that you just like pinch off and then roll is just everything. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I mean, your picture was beautiful. Um, and I'm dying to get some ramps here, but I cannot find them for the life of me. But I'm so glad you liked it. I'm hoping to convert everyone to the hand-rolled pasta train. For sure. Um, well, thank you so much, Meryl. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Obviously, like we've been huge fans. I've been a huge fan. Uh, and to kind of, the more I learn about pasta and you, the more I am just like completely mesmerized. Thanks, Jake. This has been so much fun. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you have been such a good friend and advocate for Pasta Social Club for many, many months. So I really appreciate you having me. Of course. Um, thank you all for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, you can head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed and myself at Jake Cohen and Meryl at Pasta Social Club. And we will see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.